Take your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, as we continue our study through the book of Philippians, we find ourselves this morning in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16, and if you'll find your place, we'll get there in just a moment. I've been reading through the book of Proverbs more and more recently, aware of how much wisdom I need from the Lord, and I've been reminded of this sad and yet amusing picture that is given to us throughout the book of Proverbs of someone known as the sluggard. It's just hard to imagine more really amusing language that could ever be used to describe someone than the author of, of Proverbs gives us to describe to us what the sluggard is actually like. Solomon tells us that, that the sluggard is so lazy that he puts his hand into the dish to get something to eat, but does not have the will to bring it up to his mouth. That's lazy. It says that the sluggard is like a door on a hinges, is like a sluggard in his bed. What a word picture, just moving back and forth and back and forth. It says that when the sluggard is asked to go out and work, the sluggard will not go out and work because he says there's a lion in the road. He's convinced himself that it's dangerous to go outside, so he stays in. Solomon says that sending a sluggard to work, listen to this word picture, looks like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. That's how painful it is to watch a sluggard try and go to work. It's a very dramatic picture. But the truth is, if you read about the sluggard long enough, you'll realize there's a bit of a more subtle picture as well. Sometimes the sluggard is not as obvious as you think he might be. It's not just that he's lazy. It's that he lacks ambition and drive. There's a lack of desire. There's a lack of, of drive. He has more excuses than he has resolve. He has more talk than he has work. He spends his time not pursuing worthwhile things, but pursuing worthless things. He has no initiative. He often starts, but he never finishes. The truth is, if we're honest with ourselves, as much as we might disdain the sluggard, and as much as many of us might pride ourselves in the fact that that's not us, if we're honest with ourselves, the truth is, is there are some ways and some areas in which all of us are a little bit of a sluggard. You know it's, it's possible to be incredibly diligent and hardworking in certain areas and be an absolute sluggard in other areas. And I think if we continue to be honest with ourselves, we might acknowledge that the easiest area for us to be a sluggard is in the area of our spiritual lives. Why is that? I, I think there's a few reasons. I think it's true because we often come into the Christian life not thinking that after we are saved by grace and through faith, that we must apply effort to grow in our relationship with Christ. And we just kind of come to this idea that now that I'm a believer, I let go and let God, and God just takes care of everything. We have failed to understand our role in working out our salvation with fear and trembling. I still think it's easy to be the sluggard in our spiritual lives because it's easy to fake it. It's an area that no one really sees. I mean, no one knows right now the time you spent with Jesus or the time you didn't spend with Jesus this week. 
You may be sitting next to someone who woke up every morning this week and spent some time with Jesus, or right before they went to bed, spent time with Jesus. You also may be sitting someone that you assume spent time with Jesus, but if the truth be known, they applied no effort into their spiritual life at all this week. It is possible to be diligent in many areas, yet still be a spiritual sluggard, lacking desire and drive and discipline. And that is exactly the point of Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16. The Apostle Paul is calling us to pursue Jesus Christ. And in so doing, he gives us these two critical elements that if you're going to pursue Christ, both of them have to be there. There has to be desire matched with drive. You see, we looked last week at verses 10 and 11 where Paul says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. If you write in your Bibles, you can write beside those verses, desire. That's the desire. I want to know Christ. I, I want him more. I want to experience more of his life and his sufferings. I want to know Christ more. That's desire. But it's really important to see that verses 12 through 16 follow verses 10 and 11 because it shows us that, listen, desire alone is not enough. Desire has to be matched with drive. So look what he says in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 16. Paul says, well, well, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but, here's the key words, I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, here it is again, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. It is this combination of desire for Christ and drive to go after that which you desire. I think all of us know what it's like to desire something but not to have the drive to go after it. Paul's saying that when it comes to our pursuit of Christ, both of them have to be there. And in order to help us to understand this, Paul goes with his favorite metaphor. He goes with a sports metaphor. Now, Paul loves to do this. He talks about boxing and wrestling and racing, and he does this for a lot of different reasons. I mean, I think Paul knows that there really is not a better word picture to paint for us in thinking about our relationship with Christ than thinking about it in terms of an athlete, someone who not only wants to succeed, but someone who has the drive to succeed. You know as well as I do, talent is not enough when it comes to athletics, Really good talent with no drive will get beat all day by drive with less talent. So Paul uses this metaphor because it's a a good picture of what it means to walk with Jesus Christ. I think he also uses it because very subtly he wants us to understand that watching sports is actually good for our spiritual lives. Do I have an amen? (laughs) And I think think just very subtly he's saying, listen, the more you understand sports, and I, I tell my wife this all the time, the more you will understand your spiritual life. It's exactly why right now I'm recording both the Wimbledon final and the World Cup. And I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to fit both of those in to this weekend. But 
I think Paul wants us to watch sports. And he's saying, listen, as you watch these sports, understand what a picture this is of our walk with Jesus. Now look at what he says there. He says twice these words, I press on. Now, that word right there, I press on, is one word in the Greek language. And it's a word that is almost always translated, listen, as persecution. It's used... Over 40 times in the New Testament and 31 of the 45 times it is translated persecute. Look back at at chapter 3 verse 6. Paul says a Pharisee as, he says uh, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal. Here it is, a persecutor of the church. Listen, that word persecutor is the exact same word as I press on. And if you think about it, it makes sense. What does it mean when Paul says, I was a persecutor of the church? It means this, is that he was committed to aggressively pursuing followers of Jesus Christ and taking hold of them and throwing them into prison. It is this idea of aggressive pursuit and grabbing onto something, consistently going after it. What Paul says is this, when I became a follower of Jesus, I did not lose my drive. It just got channeled in a different direction. Where I was going after Christians in a consistent, aggressive pursuit to throw them in the jail. Now I am taking that consistent ambition and driving pursuit to take hold of Christ and make him my own. He says that twice. I press on. I press on. Giving us this language of consistent, passionate, aggressive pursuit. And that gives us an incredibly helpful principle When it comes to our Christian life. And here it is. Please hear this. This is exactly what Paul is trying to communicate to us in these verses. If you're going to grow as a follower of Jesus Christ. The desire to know Christ. Must be accompanied by the drive to pursue Christ. Listen. If you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. The desire to know Christ must always be accompanied by the drive to pursue Christ. So God, by his grace and the power of his Holy Spirit, stirs up within us a desire. And I believe he's going to do it this morning. Because the end of this text says that if you don't view things this way, God will reveal that to you. And I actually believe in our time together, God is going to reveal to you something. He's going to stir up in your heart a desire for Christ. And as God stirs up a desire... He wants that to be accompanied with decisions that you make to then pursue that desire so that you might receive what it is that God is stirring in your heart. It's this combination of a desire to know him and a drive to pursue him. And what Paul does in these verses is he tells us exactly what that drive looks like. If God is stirring up a desire in your heart, what does it look like to have that drive to pursue Christ? So let me tell you what Paul tells us about that drive to pursue Christ. I encourage you to write these down. The first one is this. If we are going to pursue Christ, we must refuse to quit. We must refuse to quit. Get that down. That's the point of verses 12 and 13. Now Paul emphasizes twice the same thing. He says this. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, But I press on to make it my own. And then he says in verse 13 again, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Twice he emphasizes the fact that he believes that it's not yet time for him to quit. That he's not yet finished. He uses three words to describe this. Look at the text. 
He says, I've not already obtained this. That is a word that means he has not already taken hold of this. He hasn't received it. There's more for him to take hold of. There's more for him to go and get. There's more prize for him to win. And then he says, I'm not already perfect. You know what that means? That's Paul saying, I'm not yet mature. God has not completed his work in me. Paul is saying, listen, I'm not yet mature. I have not yet been made perfect. And so what do I do? Well, I keep going. I don't quit. And then he says, but I press on here to make it my own. Mean to to grab a hold of something or to seize something. So Paul says, I I haven't received it yet. There's still something out there for me. I'm not yet mature. I haven't taken hold of everything that God has for me. And remember, this is all in the metaphor of, of a race. Paul says, listen, I haven't finished. I'm not done. I haven't crossed the line yet. There's still a prize for me to get. And because there's still a race before me, because there's still something to get, because I haven't gone over the finish line yet, I will not quit. I will continue to press on because my time is not yet done. Now, this is Paul saying this, who has served the Lord for 25 years, probably in his mid-50s, served the Lord for 25 years, and listen, 25 hard years. You just read 2 Corinthians and you see the suffering, the persecution, all that Paul endured, the actual physical marks on his skin from the times he'd been beaten and abused and shipwrecked and thrown into prison. These have been 25 hard years of service. After all of that, he's thrown in a prison, he's sent to Rome where he's awaiting trial, fairly confident he might never get out again, and yet still, after all that he's accomplished, he says, I'm not, I'm not done. There, there's got to be more to attain. There's got to be more to do. Why? Because I'm still here. Truth is, is that Paul is refusing to quit. Now, now let me tell you something. This is profound and a little complicated. So can you, can you stay with me here a minute? The way in which you know when it's time to quit, are are you ready? Is when you die. Now, do I I need to say that again? Is that, I know that's, that's complicated. Here's the deal. When it's time for you to quit, it will be evident to everyone. You'll know it, I'll know it, we're all gonna know it. Well, I, I guess they were done. This race begins the moment in which you come to Christ, and there is this skewed idea that once you come to Christ, there is no race. No, 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 no. The moment you come to Christ, you enter into a race of desire and drive to gain more of Jesus Christ, to know him, to love him, to receive more from him. There is an abundance for you to know, and that race ends at the moment in which God takes you home. And until the moment in which God decides it's time for you to go home, you are never ever to quit. You keep going, you keep pursuing Christ until the very end. And the truth is, some of you have already quit before the Lord said it was time to quit. For some reason that you have determined that God is done with you, and that there's nothing left for you, and I just want to say, you must refuse to quit until the Lord says it's time. You know, this doesn't just affect uh, our older generation, but can I just take a moment here to speak to our older generation? I'm not going to define older. If you fit in this category, just it's between you and the Lord. But 
I got on the International Mission Board website last night and looked at what opportunities there are for retired couples or individuals. There are 19 opportunities right now available in short-term mission trips for retired families or individuals. Why? Because the IMB knows what Sky knows and what he's promoting in our mission trips is that there is an opportunity for you in these moments that you've never had before. You may have the resources and the time to do what you could not do in your 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s. And now is the time to be more engaged in service than ever. Don't quit until the Lord says it's time to quit. I called David Joyner last night. I said, David, what are our needs in our children's ministry? He goes, they're vast. We need teachers desperately. We need people who will take a class and stick with it every Sunday morning so we're not rotating teachers through. He said, I would love to have some older individuals or some older couples who would say, listen, I'll take my Sunday school hour and invest in children. And listen, it's the best of all worlds. It's like having grandkids. You get to get them for an hour, sugar them up, and send them home. You don't have to take them home. This is great. To invest in them and love on them. There are so many opportunities. I simply want to say to you this. Do not quit. Refuse to quit pursuing Christ and giving your best to the Lord until God takes you home. Now now look, look at his motivation here in verse 12. I press on to make it my own. Listen, because, this is so beautiful, Christ has made me his own. Paul is pointing us back to Philippians 2 when he talks about Jesus humbling himself, being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And what he's saying is this. He's saying, Jesus Christ came after me and did not stop until his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension. Therefore, because he came after me and did not stop, I will go after him and not stop. I want to take hold of him. Why? Because he made me his own. Jesus aggressively pursued me, and so I will aggressively pursue him. Christ did not quit. He never quits on us, and we will not quit on him. This is calling us to a life of consistent, passionate, aggressive pursuit until you die. If you are going to pursue Christ, you must get in your heart a refusal, a stubborn refusal to quit until God says it's time. Refuse to quit. The next one is this, refuse to quit and then stop looking back. That's verse 13. Stop looking back. Refuse to quit and stop looking back. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Apostle Paul wants us to know and be reminded of what we all know, and that's that you can't move forward while looking backward. That you have to somehow learn by God's grace to be a good forgetter. Now, when I, when I think about this, I, I think there's two ways that looking back can hinder us from moving forward. We can be hindered by looking back at our negative experiences. Do you know we can also be hindered by looking back at our positive experiences? By our failures and our wins? I mean, think about this. If you're looking back at your failures, what you're doing is this. You're believing that the decisions of the past are going to determine what God wants to do with you in the future. This is the enemy's favorite weapon. 
He loves to get you to forget that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He wants you to feel defeated and condemned because of what you have done in the past. But listen to me. If you believe in the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ that is sufficient to cleanse every sin, then you must believe that it is possible for every sin to be covered under the blood of Jesus Christ and you be able to move forward in victory. If we believe the gospel, the gospel is the fact that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you confess your sin, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from unrighteousness. But the enemy wants to keep bringing back into your mind, playing like a movie over and over and over, all your failures of the past to keep you paralyzed from moving forward in the future. But you cannot let the enemy use your past to destroy your future. You have to remind the enemy of what has happened to your sin. They have been covered under the blood. Could there be potential long-term consequences for your really bad decisions? Absolutely. Does it mean that because of your bad decisions, God will not use you in the future? Absolutely not. There is a God who is ready to forgive. And this is the Apostle Paul talking who murdered Christians before he came to Christ. And he said, I've got I've to put that behind me and realize that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, and I'm going to press forward forgetting what lies behind. But, you know, I, I think the Apostle Paul might also be saying, I not only have to forget the sin of the past, I've got to forget the victories of the past. I mean, if anybody could rest in their past accomplishments, it's the Apostle Paul. I mean, th- think about all this guy's done. The churches he's planted, the missionary journeys he's in, the way in which he's suffered and sacrificed for the cause of Christ, the young men he's invested in. Apostle Paul right now at his age and his stage of life could have said, boy, isn't it incredible all that I've done and simply rest in his past accomplishments. The truth is is some of us could allow our past victories to be what keeps us from moving forward. It happens in athletics all the time. Somehow we just assume that because of our victories in the past, we're going to have victories in the future. Or we get to a place where we're just so thrilled about all the things God has let us accomplish that we just kind of rest in our past accomplishments. Again, if all that God wanted to do with you is in the past, then he would have already taken you home. Paul is saying, I'm going I'm to keep my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to focus on him and not my past victories or my past failures. But I'm going to work for the Lord right Now, I'm going to refuse to quit. I'm going to keep my eyes focused forward on Christ, and I will run toward him, not looking back until I'm done. You must refuse to quit and stop looking back. Let me give you the last one that Paul gives us. Refuse to quit, stop looking back. And the last one is this, run to win. Write that down, run to win. Refuse to quit, stop looking back, and run to win. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Look at these words. Straining forward, he says. Pressing on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. There is this dramatic language of straining, going for the goal, trying to take the prize. Paul is trying to communicate his disposition as that is that he's running to win. If you're taking notes, write down 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. I think it's, it's the best cross-reference to this. You don't don't need to turn there, but listen as I read these verses. 1 Corinthians 9, 
24 through 27, Paul says this. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Now, you got to remember this. Every metaphor breaks down at some point. And you can't take every metaphor to the full extent. Paul is not saying that only one person is going to get the prize. What he's saying is this. You need to run like only one person is going to get the prize. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable, they, they run to win a prize that will burn in eternity. We run to win a prize that can never be taken away from us. So Paul says, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, I love the fact that the Apostle Paul knows that even with all of his past accomplishments, it is still possible at this stage in his life to disqualify himself by one stupid decision. Now, listen, I, I could spend the next 15 minutes right now telling you of men and women I know of that at 50, 60, 70, 70 years old undermine everything they had done in their life because of dumb decisions at that stage of life. Paul's saying, listen, I know I can still be disqualified, and so I am going to run to win. I'm going to run to get the prize. And back to that Philippians 3, he says that I'm, I'm straining forward. I love that idea. I, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind it, and straining forward to what lies ahead. You know what that word means? That word means to exert energy to the uttermost. To every single bit of energy you have is being exerted to get the prize. When I think about that idea of of straining forward, I, I think about the 2016 Rio Olympics. You might remember this moment when Shawnee Miller won the 400 meters and she beat American Allison Felix. Now, the reason this is such a big deal is because Alex Phoenix was a, uh, Felix was a decorated Olympian but had been disappointed in a few races in the past. And uh, right before this race, you know, there was one of those great human interest stories where you didn't care about the race before and now, like, you're totally emotionally engaged uh, because of everything this person's been through. And so everyone was expecting Allison Felix to win. And as a matter of fact, it was clear that Allison Felix is going to win. And if you remember this, Shawnee Miller at the very last moment did something that almost no one had seen before. She jumped forward and dove at the finish line and won because her hand finished before Felix's foot. Now you, you can see this on YouTube. I I would appreciate you not doing it now. If you'd wait till later, that would be great. But everyone was going, wait a minute, this isn't legal. This is a foot race, not a hand race. I mean, everyone was saying there's no way this is not legal, and the rules actually show that any part of your body that is finishing first wins the race. And this idea of at the very last moment, her not knowing what to do, lunges forward and dives forward in a 400 meter, and her hand finishes right before Felix's foot is exactly the picture that Paul is giving here, where you are straining forward because you're using every ounce of your energy to finish the race well. She wanted the prize. And that desire to get the prize motivated her to give every ounce of her energy toward it. And what the Lord is saying to us here is that we must press on toward the goal. Look at verse 14. For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The upward call of God. Now listen to me. Look at me here. God has placed a calling on your life. 
There's a calling on your life as a believer. It is, the, it is the call of God that got you into this race in the very beginning. He who began a good work and you'll complete it. So God is calling you into this race. God is the one who is calling you to continue in this race. It is God that has given you a desire for him, an affection for him, a hunger and a thirst, a desire to go after him. And it is God who is calling you toward the end of this race. He is calling you home. He is this upward calling of God in which God is calling you onward to pursue him and upward towards holiness, there is a call of God on your life. And it's that call of God right now that is stirring in your heart, hopefully by God's grace, saying, listen, keep going. Keep going. That God has something good for you. God wants you to experience the fullness of everything he has for you, so keep going and keep going. And even this morning, there is a call of Jesus that is going out, saying, listen, Come and follow me. Give your best energy to the things that are worth the most. And he says this, verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. This is how mature believers think. Mature believers think that I'm going to continue to pursue Christ until I die. And then he says this, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So as I'm Studying this text and preparing to preach this text, my one prayer is this, that God will do what he says he's going to do in Philippians 3. And for those of you who are not moving towards pursuing Christ and exerting energy towards that end, the God of grace would reveal that also to you, that this morning somehow, listen, you would heal, hear a little bit of the call of Jesus calling you forward. That God would reveal to you that he's calling you. That some of you this morning, he's calling to start the race. You've never started the race. You haven't began a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know all about it. But you have not come to a moment when you've trusted Jesus Christ alone as the payment for your sins and surrendered to his lordship. And this morning, God is saying, get in the race. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Start the race. And if God is calling you in that way and you're sensing that call, this morning is the morning to get it right. I told you at the beginning of this message that we're going to end with an invitation and you're going to have a moment to respond to the calling of God. For some of you, God is calling you to continue the race. He's convicting you that you're not running the way that you should and he's calling you to continue. He's calling you to pursue Christ. Listen, don't ignore the call of God, the upward call of Christ. What a gracious and good thing that God is speaking to you. I say this to you all the time. If you are sensing in your heart a desire for Jesus, that's not the devil. That's the Holy Spirit of God who by his grace is saying, keep going. Don't quit. Don't look back. But run to win. So can I just say to you students who are here this morning, young people, this is the time to get serious about your walk with Jesus Christ. Don't wait. Don't make some mistakes right now at these stages in your life that you're going to regret for the rest of your life. Right now, make it your ambition as a young person. I am going to follow Jesus Christ. Listen, for you singles, God has given you an opportunity to have undistracted devotion to Christ. And I know that this is hard. And I know that everything in your heart may want someone to share this with. And God may give that to you. But until that moment, rejoice and the undistracted devotion that you can have to Christ and run to win. Young families, do not let, young moms, young dads, do not let the busyness of these years rob you of your time with Jesus Christ. But go after him. Make him your pursuit. 
to our senior adults, don't stop. Make the most of these years. Use every moment that God has given you for his grace and for his glory. Run to win. I pray that somehow by God's grace, every one of our lives would be marked by an aggressive pursuit of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.